Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. First in the list is Compare. Compare is a diff tool, and I did a little mini-series several years ago now, probably back in 2016 or 17 or 18-ish, uh, about diff tools. Uh, graphical, I think they were mostly graphical diff tools, and uh, Compare was, you know, one of them that I that I spoke about. It's quite nice if you've never used a diff utility. Compare is a great way to get started, and it's easy to get started. So I'm just going to go over here to a test folder. I'm going to create one file called foo.txt, and in foo.txt I will put, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six. The words of the numbers on individual lines, and that is it. Now, on line one, one, I'm going to put, let's say, I don't know, equals uh, foo, two equals bar, three equals baz, four equals cooks, cukes, q-u-x, five equals, um, and then six equals. So five and six are blank. I've got other ones filled in. That's what I've got in foo. Now I'm going to open up a file called bar.txt. Oh, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in the contents of txt of foo.txt. So bar is currently the same file as foo, but instead of keeping it that way, I'm going to change line one so that it's not foo. That it's uh, one equals flux, five equals foo and six equals blip. Okay, so we've got some we've got some differences in these two files now. One one file has foo at the top and two empty fields at the bottom. The next one fills everything in and changes a couple of things around. So now I'm going to open up compare. The first screen you see when you open up compare is a little bit tricky. So there's three three tabs on the side. There's files, diff, and appearance. Appearance is self-explanatory. Diff actually controls what diff program Compare is using to do all of its magic comparisons. Files is is actually the tricky one. So you're asked for a source and a destination. There are two buttons by these fields. One, if you hover over it long enough, you'll see a tooltip come up that says select file. The other, which appropriately is a, a folder icon, is select folder. So you can compare folders or f actual files. In this example, because I just created two example files, I want to look at files, not folders. So open up, I'll, I'll click the file button and take foo as the source. And then, well, actually, you know what? That's not necessarily correct. I'm going to actually take bar as the source and foo as the destination. And you'll see why in a minute. And now I'm going to click the, but, the, the button compare. And this is, um, this is what compare does. It shows you in its interface, and you can make it full screen if you want. That's what I normally do because it, it sometimes, I mean, it is a, there's a lot going on sort of. 
it shows you in the interface um, what files you're dealing with in terms of the f source and the destination folder, source and destination file. And in this case, as I've said, the source is uh, bar and the destination is foo. Meaning that, and you don't have to do it this way, it's just, it, it's a thing that you can do. But essentially, if something's a destination, then it is going to be changed, right? That That's a destination for something, for data. So the first, so in the bottom panel of compare, you see foo, or no, you see bar on the left, you see the contents of the file, line by line, one through six. And then on the right, you see the contents of foo, again, line by line, one through six. And actually, you know what, I guess, I guess I could have actually, I probably should have added a line. I'm going to do that real quick. Sorry. I'm going to go back to foo, uh, to bar, and I'm going to say that we've added a seventh line, seven equals bloop. All right, now that, that, that's that's a little bit different. Compare still set to sources bar destinations foo. So now I've got um, bar on the left still line by line one through seven, and then foo on the right one through six. And the lines that have changed are colored uh, sort of a pinkish, uh, sort of a red, light red pink uh, color. The lines that are unchanged are completely just they're just white, you know, black text on white background. And that that might be enough. That may be all you need to do is look at a difference between two files. This is a quick and easy way to ensure you're not overlooking something. Maybe that's all you need. But there is you you can apply differences, and that's why it's important. You know, considering what's your source, what's your destination. I think in my head, a lot of times the source is always the one that came first, and the destination is always the one that came second. Because I don't know why. It's just that's. But actually, like if if you've if you're looking at two files with the with the um, with the goal of normalizing them or, or equalizing them, synchronizing them, then then it might make sense to to designate one as sort of a destination f from from which you're going to pull changes to which you're going to pull changes uh, that come from the source. Okay, so I'm going to just select line one here. Line one in bar on the left is one equals flux. Line one on foo is one equals foo. Well, let's say that I, I, I want to apply that difference. So with line one selected, I can either just hit the space bar or I could right click and apply difference, whatever. The line turns green. And in foo now, instead of one equals foo, it's one equals flux. And then let's say that, well, actually, I, I guess probably, so the, the next chunk of changes is at the bottom where there are two empty fields and a line that doesn't exist in foo. So again, I can just press space to copy all the differences over. Um, and then there's that, but maybe line one, maybe I, I decide, you know what? One and five should both equal foo. I don't like one equal e equaling flux, uh, after all. So I could right click on that or, or just click on it and select unapply difference or just hit the backspace, which is a horrible key for that, I think, because backspace to me says delete, and, and I don't believe that that's an accurate expression of what's happening there. Um, but anyway, that's that's just, that's my opinion. So um, there we go. That's, that, that I've just changed the lines, or I haven't changed the lines, depending on what I've decided. Once I'm finished, I can save, quit, and now I should be able to do a 
cat of foo.txt and see that one is still set to foo, five is set to foo as well, six blip, seven bloop. And two, three, and four are exactly what they've always been, bar, baz, and quicks, cucks, keeks. Um, and bar should be the same file, right? So if I do a diff manually, just diff foo bar, um, nothing, oh, it, it, sorry, something is changed. Uh, foo and flux is, is still one, the, the first line is still different between those two files. I forgot that I'd set that back, but yeah, that's, that's how compare works. And it's a really slick little application. Not all diff applications are quite that nice. They're all, they, they tend to be pretty similar in, in design, but, but that one is a really nice one. I gotta say that one, that one's an attractive, easy to use little compare program. And like I say, you can compare folders as well, um, which can be useful sometimes. You know, if you've, if, if you had a folder that you archived maybe, and you can't remember what change, what was in that archive at the time, because now something has changed, open the two and compare, see what's there, what's not there see what the difference is and you know normalize them as 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 much as you want. Okay, next one is Conqueror and Conqueror is I mean it used to be the flagship of KDE. It is a file manager and web browser. Although recently, I guess recently in terms of I guess KDE 4, recently it has become just a a web browser really. Now that doesn't mean that it's it's not capable of file management. It is, but it is officially positioned in, within the KDE Plasma desktop as a web browser. And Conqueror, in in many ways, it kind of defined the concept of network transparency as it applied to a personal desktop. With Conqueror, you could browse remote network files, including the internet itself, which as you and I know, dear listener, it's just a collection of remote files viewed through a, a, a special lens uh, called a, a web browser. But it, it, they're just files on a remote system. Not that big of a deal. But you could also browse your own local files in, in, this, in this application. This is back in like the KDE3 days. Now, sometimes there was um, a little bit of configuration and setup required, depending on what kind of file shares you wanted to access you know i mean the internet was was is pretty standardized pretty simple um and and kind of that's that's the easy one to pre-configure i guess is what i'm saying whereas if there's a lo- a fairly local um samba share or an nfs share you would have to set that up still do you know i mean obviously kde plasma desktop can't know all of the authentication details about that it's something that you're going to have to provide but once you have it set up then then you're good to go and it and it is very much just it's a transparent experience you don't you don't think about the fact that these files aren't on your desktop on, on your actual computer you just you figure you you know you don't think of them that way there it's just as if though they were right there it, it it is the 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 mythos of you know I guess the Google Drive or or the Microsoft OneDrive or whatever way before those existed like long before that stuff was around. Now of course this wasn't like KDE Plasma Desktop. Well, it wasn't called that then. It was just called the KDE Desktop. Of course, the KDE Desktop didn't didn't invent like the concept. This was a this was a popular notion occurring within certainly famously Sun Microsystems saying things like 
the network is the computer. So that network transparency wasn't invented by Conqueror, but I think, at least from my viewpoint, from my very limited perspective, having you know not being in the industry at that time, um, I, I really feel like Conqueror was is one of the 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 shining examples of how that should be achieved. And I don't feel like I'm I say that it's a limited perspective because it is, but I mean my impression of Conqueror was largely formed by other people talking about Conqueror. I didn't think I didn't look at Conqueror and think, "Wow, the network transparency on this thing is phenomenal." Because I didn't even know what that I did. I, I had no concept of that. I didn't understand. And at the time, I was quite confused. Why would you want the internet and your local files accessible by the same? Like, why would that be a combination? So it didn't even make sense to me at the time. I didn't understand it. Other people got it. I didn't know at the time. But uh, I mean, ultimately, the the goal was to have instant access to all your data all at the same time. And that's what Conqueror provided. Now, at its peak, as I've said before, the open source web engine of Conqueror, KHTML, was adopted by Apple and then by Google, and it lives on today as the core library of modern web browsing and, technically, of any Electron app that you happen to to be using on your desktop because that's got the the whole uh, web kit or whatever Google's version of that is called uh, embedded into it. So it's it's the the impact that Conqueror has had on computing is woefully not recognized, I don't feel. I mean it just doesn't get the attention that it deserves and it's weird to me because it's it's a big deal. And I, I do recognize that that I could that I might be seeing it through sort of a little bit of a tunnel vision because there there's there's a whole side of computing that I just don't know anything about. I mean, there's lots of sides to computing that I don't know anything about. So in terms of history and influence and and prior art and so on, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Even so. KHTML alone deserves a lot of recognition for Conqueror, and you just don't see that happening, and I think that's a shame. Anyway, the thing that you do see is Conqueror itself. You still have it on your computer. You're running KDE 5. It's there. It's disguised as a web browser, of course, and and I'm afraid not a not a terribly great one, um, but it is it is there. And I, and I say not a terribly great one, just offhandedly like that, because... Uh, it doesn't fit my doesn't fit my use for a web browser. I, as I've said before, I use the password store Unix command uh, pass for my uh, um, passwords, and that is hooked into both Firefox and Chromium. Actually, have extensions for it. I use Firefox, but but both have the available extensions so that it's got integration into the the browsers. So that's quite nice. Um, Conqueror does not, does, as far as I know, does not provide that or doesn't have that option. I could use like an internal password store, probably that like K Wallet, uh, but I've just I've kind of settled on Pass now, so that's not really great for me. Um, and I mean, certainly Firefox has the containers that it does. I don't I don't think Conqueror does that. So that's another thing because I, I use Firefox for both work and for uh, for my personal stuff. So. I love having the containerized um, view. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty tightly bound to Firefox, to be perfectly honest. And I I don't mind that at all. So I'm just, 
I'm just sticking with that. But but Conqueror, I mean, it's a web browser. You could use it as a file manager. Although again, it's it's really it's not optimized for file management. That that is clearly not really what they think that you're going to be doing with it. It, it just happens to be able to read open uh, lo- lo- local files. So as with most KDE applications, Conqueror is relatively configurable. You can reposition and add and remove the toolbars. You can add or remove buttons and so on. So you can adjust the toolbars that are visible uh, by going into Conqueror and going into the settings menu and then selecting toolbars shown. And that way you can customize, especially during file management, what you're, what you're looking up, what you're looking at up at the top, which that's kind of useful because if you're using it as a file manager, you might not care so much about the download manager or the Google search bar or, you know, whatever, um, whatever search engine you've got tethered to, to this field that I don't imagine anyone uses. Even, even in Conqueror, you wouldn't use, you just type GG and then whatever your search term was, uh, because they have those, those brilliant shortcuts. So the um, the the web browser mode, like when you first launch Conqueror, you by default at least you get sort of like this weird sort of Conqueror splash screen, and you can choose how you want to use that Conqueror window. Um, there's the home folder, your personal files, trash, network folders. Those are the shared file files and folders that I was talking about would that would require a little bit of setup, or bookmarks. Or you can just type into the URL bar where you want to go. Opensource.com. See what new articles they have out today. Boy, that's taking a long time to load. Okay, there we go. Can, what's this headline say? Can't read it. Yeah, and this is this is the weird thing about Conqueror. It's just like, like right now, I've, I accidentally scrolled over two menus, and they just won't go away now. <laughs> they're just they're just open, and I can't close them. I I had to go to a different page and then come back for them to sort of go away. Uh, can Kubernetes help solve automation challenges? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, cool. So that's that's it's that's the website window. But I I didn't want that. I want the the file manager window. So. If you click on your home directory, then it takes you home and you see all the folders that you have in your home directory and you can open them up by single clicking on them as usual with KDE Plasma Desktop. Uh, you can open files from here. You can launch different types of files. They'll, they'll all respect your K-MIME type preferences and so on. And there's there's cool little features too. There's like, you can open a terminal right there in that location, except unlike Dolphin, which sort of opens up a terminal as a panel within Dolphin, Conqueror just launches a terminal at the location that you're that you that you tell it to open. You know, so there that is nice, but it's not like a a, a terminal is slotted in into that window, which is kind of kind of not as nice as as Dolphin, frankly. You can um, what else can you can you do? Well, I mean, you could you could do like um, you can get a side panel. So to get a side panel, if you want it, uh, you know, with like common folders and so on, just press F9, I think it is. Yep, there it is. F9, and that sort of exposes the um, the the tabs, the side tabs, which used to be a, a hallmark of of KDE and, and really has kind of fallen out of favor in many ways. I, I love it, though. I, I wish more KDE applications would use it. And if you if you look through the um, the sidebar tabs, the first one is bookmarks, the next one is history, and then there's one called places. So if you click on places, 
then you get a list of, of common places, just as you would expect in, for instance, Dolphin or, or you know, any, any modern file manager practically. So that's, that's F9, or I think, I, I imagine it's in the view folder somewhere, or the, the view menu, rather. Maybe, actually, I don't know. I don't know if that's in the view, the view menu. Anyway, it's F9. That's, just remember that, and th that'll open that up. You can also get to an applications menu, which is kind of cool. So if you go to the go menu and go to, just go down to applications, then, then you get to see your K menu as, as, as a folder like as a virtual file system, essentially. And this is really cool. This used to be, this was one of the great appeals of Conqueror to me for a very long time, was that you could actually see the applications as like launchable entities. And I was just used to that from my previous operating system, uh, which was Mac. And, you know, long time ago, 2006, 2008, whatever it is. That was how you launched applications at the time on a Mac, or or rather that was kind of how you got an overview of your applications. Because even by that time, honestly, I had started using um, something called Quicksilver, which was later sort of, um, sort of not, I mean, I guess it was it's probably dead by now, but it was kind of killed off by Apple's own implementation of something that they called Spotlight which was basically just a, a, a computer-wide search engine. Uh, and it was horribly implemented, of course. Uh, Quicksilver was, f for, for, for what it was, I mean, it's specific to the Mac, so it's not that great because you'd have to run a completely closed stack in order to, to use it. But it, it was a nice application at the time. And, and I mean, I, I found quickly that Linux had that <laughs> built in all over the place. Like, that was easy. Like, that... That functionality on Linux was easy to, to mimic, and probably Quicksilver was mimicking Linux, uh, looking back at it. But I still liked the idea that I could, I could see my applications, like I could see them. For some reason, in my head, like an application had to be an icon, or else it just didn't quite exist. I mean, terminal notwithstanding, for some reason I was, I was fine taking it on faith that terminal applications didn't, quote-unquote, exist. They were just magic. They were in the terminal. I mean, I knew they were where they were. They were in the file system, but I, I don't think my brain had quite connected the concepts yet. So I, I really liked seeing applications as icons. And so it was very cool to me that you could go to an application folder, which again, it's not real. You know, you're not, I mean, I, I guess it, I mean, it's kind of real in a way, you know, I mean, it's, it is a file. It is a dot desktop file that you're that you're seeing a version of. But I mean, it's not really that significant, as we know. We we could you can create these little applications just with the dot desktop file. There doesn't have to be anything connected to it. So it it was silly, but it was something that I that gr brought me great comfort. And and nowadays I just can't even imagine being bothered. I guess, you know, though, in a way, actually, that's not true. Because I do like, I do like that sort of, um, that gnome experience of, why did I say gnome? I meant gnome. Um, that gnome experience of uh, the sort of full screen application thing. And there's actually a, there's a plugin for that in Plasma, where you can click up, instead of getting a K menu, you, you could have like a full screen application menu. The problem with all of that is that ultimately, I don't want my applications categorized. I just want them alphabetical. But then at that point, if you're just doing it alphabetical and you're just see, you know, you're just going to start typing anyway. 
So who cares, really? Like, it just doesn't matter anymore to me. I just, as long as an application gets launched, that's what I care about these days. But if you're the type of person who likes to see, like, the sort of the, the, the icons that represent the applications, you can do that in Conqueror. Go to the Go menu, go down to Applications, and it will take you to the categorization, the, the categories uh, containing all the different applications that you have on your system. And I, and I will say, even though I'm not using that, I, I, I do think that that's a nice feature. Another nice feature is, well, like I've already said, you could go to network folders. I don't really have that many network folders set up. Um, do I have any? I have no network set, uh, folders set up. I just usually just type in, you know, SSH, or not SSH, fish, colon, slash, slash, and then the whatever host name I want to go to on my local network. That's kind of how I do that. Uh, but there is another cool thing about Conqueror file management, which is that it can be a dual screen file manager if you want it to be. So if you go, I'm going to hit F9 to get rid of my panel because that, that doesn't really fit into the two panel mode that well. Uh, but if you go to window, the, the window menu, there's a split view left, right, split view top, bottom. So you can choose how you want. You want side by side or top and bottom. And then each panel, of course, is its own independent panel. So you can you can click into, uh, I'll click into my RAM disk here. There we go. So I've got one folder open on the right, and then I've got another folder open on the left. So I could just grab, uh, let's see, here's my downloads folder. So I'll just grab a file from there and drag it over to my RAM disk panel, copy it. And now I've got that file over, you know, I've just brought a file from one panel to the other, which is um, convenient. So that's kind of cool. If you if you liked, uh, what was it, uh, Norton Commander, Midnight Commander? N Norton Commander was what it was called, right? And then Midnight Commander came out to mimic that, I think. Uh, so whatever that series of applications was where you had two panels open all the time, if you like that, Conqueror can do that for you. Can Dolphin do that? Probably. I don't know. I'm not really a two-panel type of person so if if that if that does exist in dolphin i don't know it nope yes it does exist <laughs> it does exist okay so it exists f3 in dolphin apparently bang done easy i'm i'm never I, i'm never gonna use that though but it's nice to know that it exists so there you go those are the um those are the those are the features of conqueror i i i'm gonna continue to say though that i don't feel like conqueror feels that it is a file manager there there are for instance actually let me so i've closed conqueror now i'm gonna go I'm gonna open it again it opens and i'll go back to my home folder have any of my set settings persisted i don't think so uh, i'll open my side panel now so my side panel is open with my places okay closing that window opening opening it again it opens of course to its splash page so then i'll go back to home folder and my panel is not there so every single time i'm going to use conquer i'm going to have to open up that panel and i just don't feel like you would do that if you thought of yourself as a file manager i think you would you would you would remember those settings i mean especially that kind of setting i i, I think you would remember that now there there is a setting in conqueror settings general well actually there's two general settings bizarrely but there's another general setting after the first general setting 
where you can say use common display style for all folders or remember display style for each folder. Um, so maybe that would have some 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 useful elements of of persistent memory. Um, I'm not sure. I, I was not able to find persistence for that sort of thing, though, for, for specifically panel arrangement as a file manager. I could find lots of other things like navigation options, how, how, how do we open a tab after a current one or at the end of the tab bar? How do we open archives? Do we open it in an arc or do we just open it as a, collaps- a, co- a collapsible folder uh and so on so there's there's a bunch of stuff there i wasn't able to find the one that set that 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 governed sort of like panel layout specifically which i just i i think that that would be weird if every time you opened up a file manager you had to sort of re reset all of your all of your preferences that doesn't seem very fun so i i don't think conqueror thinks of itself as a file manager. i think it's a web browser that happens to be able to browse local files and local files aren't presented to you as HTML. They are presented to you as files on a, on a file system, much as you would you would experience on a web dev server or an FTP server or whatever. So it's just a different mode of what it what its primary function of browsing browsing files on a system. So that's that's Conqueror today. Um, I was never that much of a Conqueror user, like back during what I'll, I'll just arbitrarily say was its heyday, which I guess, let's just say that was KDE3.x. I wasn't a Conqueror user. I, um, I I don't remember what file manager I used back then. I mean, I, I, wasn't using, I wasn't using KDE as a desktop as much then either. I was using Fluxbox with KDE uh, a- a- additions. Like I would use KMix, for instance in the in the panel of fluxbox but i i wouldn't i wouldn't use kde the desktop i didn't really start using kde until kde 4 4 came out which was i think in 2000 i don't know 6 or 8 nothing happened in 2007 everything for me historically is either 2006 or 2008 that's what i've noticed about myself okay so that's conqueror if you have fond memories of it it would be interesting possibly to go back and look at it now and see what what's different um i i kind of feel like i I feel like there's a there has been a schism there and the schism is embodied in the trinity desktop so if you go to uh trinitydesktop.org you are you, you will find a desktop environment built around or that that retains the sort of the the model of KDE three. Um, whether or not they, you know, I don't know how much sort of attention they give Conqueror or or whatever they call their Conqueror alike. But um, it's definitely something to check out because and and I've I've run it before. Oh, it's okay. It says there's a, a Flash plugin support in Conqueror. Okay, well that's exciting. Flash support for Conqueror. My goodness, what will they come up with next? Um, oh, and there's the original improved classic Amarok music player. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here, and it is an interesting experience. I've run it a little bit before just for fun, and I did not, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I actually liked it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it if if TrinityDesktop.org was was an option on Slackware. I think that could be pretty pretty fun. Um, and you know, I mean, it's been updated. It's not like they're just putting the thing on live support. They're using um, at least Qt4 libraries. I don't know that they've gone 
further. I don't know if they're up to like Q5 now or, or what they're up to right now. And I don't see a super easy, um, summary of, of, of what, of what the latest updates are, but the latest updates have been 2022 May 1st. So it's still happening. Like it's, it's an active support. It is happening. You can absolutely run sort of a KD3, KDE3 like desktop. Um, it is, this is the, the, the cinnamon or the mate version of, of, of KDE. So it's very cool. Try it out if you can. Next up is Conquest. I think it's time for coffee. That's what I think. Quest is a KDE version of the GNU Lactic game. I don't know what that is. It's a multiplayer strategy game. The goal of the game is to expand your interstellar empire across the galaxy. The handbook for this game is uh, written under the assumption that you already know how to play this game. And I say that because here's their, well, here's their introduction to it. How to play. When you start Conquest, press new to start a new game. You'll see a dialogue in which you need to enter various information to set up your game. Listed below are the parameters, and it tells you literally the things that you have to enter, which is presented to you as a menu. Uh, I'm not 100% sure the value of that, but they're there. It's listed. Once the game starts, you will be presented with a game board. Blank squares are empty. At first, each player owns one planet. The planet's background is the player's color. If you move the mouse over a a planet, you can see additional information. Without the blind map option enabled, you can see information if you hover, uh, if you've selected, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's telling you how to get information about planets. Uh, And then it tells you what that information is. The planet name is, you guessed it, the name of the planet. Owner, you guessed it, it tells you who owns the planet. Ships do will only appear if you have selected a standing order for that planet. Otherwise, it is not there. Production is the number of ships the planet will produce each turn. Production varies from planet to planet. Kill percent is a measure of the effectiveness of the ships produced by that planet. Attack fleets take the kill percentage of their planet of departure, and the defense fleets use the kill of the, that they departed from. You, you can get easily see the planet name, blah blah blah. The owner is represented by the background color. To send ships from a planet to another, select the planet you want to send ships from, enter the number of ships to in the green box in the upper right corner, and press enter. Repeat this procedure until you've sent out all the ships you want. If you wish to send a constant amount of fleets from one planet to another every turn, enter that number and then check standing order. That's it. That's how you play the game. Maybe that is enough. Okay, so I think I'm player zero, potentially and I'm meant to select a destination planet. So I'm assuming that I'm going to want to maybe not send a ship out yet, because I have 10 ships, and the closest sh- uh, planet to me, which is owned by a different player than me, uh, is also has 10 ships. So we're, we're equally matched right now. There are some, I think, neutral ship uh, planets, though. So I could send out some some ships to E1. That looks like it's 
available. And I could send out, for instance, five ships, let's say. Five ships. I don't know why it shows a... Oh, oh, I see, because my other player could be sitting right next to me and reading. Yeah, okay. So, I'll... oh, that doesn't seem possible. How many ships? It won't let me send five ships. One? Apparently, no number of ships is what I have the option to do. Um, so once again, I'm afraid I'm having a hard time understanding the, the, the way that this game is played. All right, one more time. New game. I'm going to take player zero for myself. I'm blue. Player two is the AI, and it's yellow. So here's my little planet, planet A. There's a neutral... Oh, okay, so I'm, I'm selecting A0 as my source. C1 is my destination. I'm going to send out five ships. Nope, it just won't let me do it. Cool. Okay. Well, I guess that'll be my turn then. Or not. It actually won't even let me proceed at this point. How about zero ships? Can I send zero ships? No, one ship. So it's not letting me actually do anything. So I, I clearly don't understand how this game works. And unfortunately, the handbook I've just read to you, and it, it's not something that's very useful. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. But I, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how to... I don't know how to advance here, really. I just don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, I have 100 ships. No, someone has 100 ships. I don't know who. Oh, I think the other player just just one yeah the ai so if you if i just end a bunch of turns without doing anything i can get the ai to win i mean that's that's a victory right that's technically a victory select the source planet that should be my planet right i mean that, that what other planet would there be how many ships six yeah it just seems like whenever i try to take a turn it won't let me proceed no matter what i skipped one turn no, and it still won't let me send ships. Okay, so that's enough. That's enough of that game. So Conquest seems like an interesting sort of game, but for whatever reason, not working for me. Not at all. I hate to end on a down note, so I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about console. I feel like I've talked about console before, but I'm going to talk about it again. And I am a big fan of console. It is my preferred terminal. Then again, then again, I really don't care. It's it's a weird thing about terminals, I think, once you start to really get into them. You do start to separate the emulator from the shell. And and sometimes you you get comfortable enough with just the shell that the emulator kind of starts to take a back seat. Now, that said, emulators, I think, more than anything... They have convenience functions. Things that you could live without, you can live without, you're happy to live without. But, you know, when you have them, it is kind of nice. So if you're choosing between not having them or having them, then you choose to have them. And that's what console is. I mean, starting at the, the, the very, very the basics, if I open a... If I open a... Um, if I open a dolphin window... Which I was trying to do with a keyboard shortcut, and it kept interpreting it as a, dol uh, a conqueror command instead. Um, if I open a dolphin window and I want to uh, do something to a file, I can drag that file from my dolphin window into my conqueror window, and conqueror knows what I'm talking about. It, it, it inserts the path to that file for me. That's such a huge feature that people, so many people don't understand you know they don't they undervalue that feature and it's it's not necessarily 
that big of a value for me as a terminal user, but it is a huge value to people I'm trying to instruct on how to do something. Just the ability to just drag and drop a file. Yes, you have to you have to type in uh, convert, but then just drag the file in and drop it. Don't don't try to find the path yourself. You're going to screw it up. And I'm going to I'm going to try to get you to use the tab key so that you don't screw up the path as much, but you're not going to understand that I'm telling you to use the tab key and you're going to keep typing the word tab every time I tell you to hit tab and and then you're going to have convert tab convert tab slash home tab slash username tab slash you know it's just it's I've, I've seen it it happens just being able to drag and drop a file into conqueror in, no into console is is so so useful and very I think undervalued and I mean you might take it for granted dear listener you you might think of course you can do that. Why wouldn't you be able to do that? Well, one reason that you can't do that is if you're using URXVT or Xterm or something like that. You can try to drag and drop a file into those terminals and nothing will happen. Like they just don't recognize that you've done anything. It just doesn't, nothing happens. Okay, so console also has this wonderful tab, notions of tabs, like all modern applications, right? Well, not all modern app, well, all modern applications, but not all applications, because once again, URXVT or Xterm, they don't have tabs. Well, actually they do with the correct extensions. You can get tabs in at least URXVT. I I think I heard that Xterm, there was a hack for that. I could be wrong, but definitely for URXVT, you can have tabs. That's my default setup has tabs. Absolutely not a problem. So Okay, so there is that as well. But in in console, you have it in a graphical graphical view. It's it's either I think I think you could put it at the top. I have it at the bottom because that's where console puts tabs in my world. Um, and and so you have lots of little terminal emulators sessions available to you all within the same space. That's really useful. I mean, really useful. I, that's one of those things that I use all the time. Like. Uh, a terminal without tabs to me is just not, it's hardly even a terminal. Um, uh, and once again, even in like, let's say Xterm, you could just use Tmux or GNU screen and then you have tabs. So really like the, the, the emulators are again, convenience functions. They're nice to have, but they're also just, they're, they're, they're not all that specific to, to a specific emulator. It doesn't seem. Uh, console also has a bunch of different profiles. So if for whatever reason you want to use maybe a dark terminal with light text at during the day, no, at, at, at night, but you want to use a bright terminal during the day, maybe you would want to do that. You know, you'd have two different profiles. So you could switch between profiles. You have options on how the tab bar works and how how you split your window. Yes, you can split the window so you can have like two up uh two two different terminal screens up at once i don't know why you would want that but you could um well i say i don't know why you would want that and yet i do it all the time in emacs and in either tmux or screen so i guess yeah why not um and so on uh the profile thing though is is particularly important because i mean this is the thing that's the place where you can modify the look of your terminal you can change the font you can change the colors of the fonts. You can change the size of everything, whether it blinks or not, whether 
you hear an alert or not. Actually, does, does, does it even do an audible alert? I know the GNOME one does, and boy, does it drive me crazy until I turn it off. Um, how things scroll, how many lines of history there are. Oh, I have an exclamation mark. Is using this, the scroll is saved to RAM. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, so there's there's lots of different sort of options there that are legitimately more difficult to adjust quickly on something else. Like RxVT, you you can do it, but you have to do it in X defaults, and then you have to run a command to sort of update your X defaults. Um, it's a little bit clunky in that in that system, whereas in this fancy graphical console. You can just do it instantly. See the results right now. Done. Um, you've also got the Control Shift Plus to increase the font. So if you're doing a demonstration, presentation, whatever, you want people to be able to see those that 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 code that you're you're typing, just, you can just increase it. Control Shift Plus or Control Minus to make it smaller. So that's really nice. Um, you can do that with the Control Shift and the mouse wheel as well. Scroll, scroll, scroll wheel. Yeah. Um, there are there, there's a plugin uh, manager for console, so you can have like uh, you can there's a the built-in one is an SSH manager where you can have common locations to that you SSH to uh, right there in a little in a little side panel. You can have bookmarks. You can add bookmarks to places, so you can get to places really really fast. You can. Um, you can monitor it for silence or or for activity. That's brilliant. So let's say you're you're waiting for something to come through uh, from a I don't know what what would that be I don't know. You could you could do some test some uh, test statement in Bash. You know if if something happens, then produce this result, this output, and then you can monitor your console for activity. And when that result is produced, then you get an alert. You get a K notification. You can monitor it for a process finishing. So if there's some long process, like you're compiling code from from Slack builds, or you are um, processing really big media files, monitor that for for the completion of the process. It will tell you in a notification. Really, really nice stuff that you just don't get that easily necessarily on other terminals. You you can probably hack it together on another terminal. I'm not saying that it's it's completely unique to to console. Not under that illusion at all. I'm just saying console makes it really easy, really convenient, really fast. And it's really nice. I mean, honestly, console used to have its own sort of set of keyboard sh- shortcuts. Um and and it was you know it was kind of unique to console. I mean it wasn't that unique. It was just it just happened to be what console used. And and the the, the one I vaguely remember now, uh, which I thought I'd never forget, is whatever it was for a new tab. It used to be I'm pretty sure Control N or Control Shift N. Yeah, must have been Control Shift N. Control N must have been a new window, and then Control Shift N was a new tab probably. But now Control Shift T is a new tab, and the reason they did that was because GNOME and KDE finally started sort of collaborating, talking to each other, and they decided, you know what, it would make more sense if our emulators worked similarly, so that people could just switch back and forth depending on what desktop they were on. And I got to admit, I mean, when it when it happened, I recognized that it was a smart move. I was a little bit sad to miss, you know, to 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 have to sort of adapt my keyboard shortcuts, but I recognized the advantage. And now that I'm living in that world, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. You, you want 
consistency across Linux desktops. It's great. The more, the better. I mean, that's a dangerous statement. As I've said before, if we, if we insist on consistency all the time in every way, then we lose, you know, really sort of different ideas that people are bringing to the table. So we don't want that necessarily all the time in everything, but there's a certain amount of it that can be appreciated. And, and certainly keyboard shortcuts that make my terminal usage even more efficient. Yes, I'll take those. So that's, I don't know, that's console. It's it's a KDE application, so there's you can move toolbars around. I have my tab bar on the left, which, as I was saying with Conqueror, I kind of miss from KDE. So when I can put a tab bar on the left, I, I, I very frequently do. That's nice. And um, Conqueror is otherwise, I don't know, a nice little emulator. I'm not saying it's, 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 I don't I don't think that I would need to have console under under any desktop. Well, I know I don't. At work, I use GNOME and I'm using the GNOME terminal and and it's fine. It's fine. Okay, I admit a lot of times I'm just using my Slackware desktop and SSHing into my work laptop. So I'm actually not using GNOME terminal. But there are times that I travel or that I'm just not at my normal desk on my laptop and I use GNOME and I use the GNOME terminal and it's fine. It, it feels, I would probably be hard pressed to, to tell you for sure which terminal I was in based on just everyday activity. Like if you, if you made everything but that window invisible and asked me, is this console or GNOME terminal, which is I think becoming called console now with a C, I wouldn't be a hundred percent sure because they're just, it's just that natural. And that's what you want in your terminal emulators. You want consistency across the emulators, I guess. Maybe you don't. Like I say, part of the appeal of having lots of options is that they're different options. They actually have different features. So maybe in a way it's weird that they're starting to normalize and synchronize. But at the same time, especially with GNOME and and KDE, I I feel like a lot of... uh, There's such monolithic choices that you have to make. And, And when you make that choice... You're not necessarily wanting to give up everything that you had on KDE. It's just that this distribution happens to make it easier to work with GNOME. So you 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 work with it. And the terminal is such an important, vital part of sort of a Linux user's day-to-day operation that I do think that consistency across that is kind of nice. And certainly, if I wanted something drastically different, I could install a different terminal. I could use RxVT at work. I could use RxVT here at home. Doesn't, you know, I, I have control over that, so I could do something different. But I really do. I, I like a good modern terminal emulator. I like to, I used to not like it as much. I used to think that it was, that it was maybe better to just get closer to the shell. And while there's an appeal there, I guess... Um, I do feel like realistically, after having used Linux for several years now, the the worst case scenario of no longer having access to console for some reason just isn't that realistic. And so growing sort of quote unquote dependent upon it isn't really that bad. I have a high level of confidence in a lot of the things that I am quote unquote dependent upon on computing, uh, such that I, I don't really feel like the likelihood of suddenly having that ripped away from me and having to learn something new and going under this uh, sort of drastic learning curve again. That's just, it it doesn't really frighten me all that much uh, like it used to. I think I've, I've really started to settle into the, the stability of, of open source, which is nice. I like that. I I actually quite like that. Um, And if, you know, console goes away, then that's fine. I'll, I'll learn a different terminal. It's it's 
it's fine. I guess it is probably good to keep tabs on simpler versions of things that are closer to sort of the shell or closer to the the whatever, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, certainly I wouldn't, for instance, I wouldn't want to lose sight of FFmpeg just because KDN Live happens to do a really good job of rendering now. I think, you know, you, you want to know what is exactly happening, what flags are being set, uh, and, I, and maybe RxVT versus console, maybe that's, that's similar. Sort of going out to something basic without the conveniences makes you appreciate the conveniences, or at least makes you understand the conveniences. Or, or how, wh- why it's a convenience. Why is it such a big deal that I can set my font size in console instantly? Maybe it's not that big of a deal, but it, it is a deal that you don't have in, in just a plain old uh, terminal. So the appreciation maybe is important. So I guess in closing, go install rxvt-unicode, whatever it's called, urxvt. Go install that and use that for a while. Um, and then go back to console. And suddenly you'll understand why console is such a nice terminal. Console is nice because KDE is nice, as I think, if if nothing else, this um, this long foray into the KDE folder of Slackware software settings has sh- has demonstrated. Uh, and we're just we're not even through the K's yet. We have we've we've the it doesn't end with K. In other words, I'm going to get through K, and then we have L and M and O and P and S and W. And Zed. So there's a lot here. Let's just keep going. Let's keep doing this, but not today. Today, the episode is over. I will talk to you, dear listener, next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
do you think of using a rocket to take a photograph? 